Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 95 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody ran out and got themselves a copy of that brand new Micah Gino and Barrett Smith album that came out on Monday. I was fortunate enough to actually make it up to Brevard and see the CD release show, and it was phenomenal. Um, I'll talk more about that later. Also, thank you to everyone who went out and supported Josh Rolko's Kickstarter. He met his goal. That's amazing stuff. So thank you for everybody who uh, listened to the episodes and went out there and helped Josh make this make this dream come true. You're going to love this album. I'm sure of it. So let's get into the ads for this week, and we'll get into the episode part one with Daryl Anger. Before we get into the episode, though, you may or may not know that because of the pandemic, there's been all sorts of shortages for all sorts of things, especially in the mandolin world. Scott just had a great article about the shortage of mandolins and due to supplies and there's shortages of strings. A lot of brands are out of stock in many strings. And now would be the best time for you to try straight up strings. One of this week's sponsors, the secret to a balanced mandolin. Roger has put in a ton of time and research into finding the most balanced sounding set of strings. And if you go to straightupstrings.com and read about it, it, it really is an amazing story. But the gist of it is, if you just look at your mandolin and you realize that the E and the G strings are over the post and the A and the D strings are not over posts, then you realize scientifically there's got to be some sort of way to make them sound balanced. And there is, and Roger spent a lot of time in checking them out. CJ Lewandowski, Tristan Scroggins, they use them so you know they are good. So... Check them out today at straightupstrings.com. And if you order a six-pack, you can save almost $10. Next up, Heghead Nation. They're streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old-time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors. It's it's a crazy great lineup. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, and Chad Manning. Everything from beginner to advanced crazy chord melody stuff and, and, and everything in between. They've got it all. They've got high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's all one word. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Also, you got to follow them on Instagram. It's a must. And Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. All right, let's get into part one with Daryl Anger. Thanks again for everybody checking it out. Please hit subscribe. And um, I might have a little special thing on Friday, a little bonus episode um, that I've been thinking about doing. So uh, just stay tuned for that. You'll be notified if you're subscribed. And if you get a chance also on the uh, on the Apple podcasts, leave a, leave a comment that helps with ranking and all that amazing stuff. Thank you, everybody, for uh, checking it out, and have a fantastic week. Cheers. Absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Daryl Anger. Daryl, how are you? 
Oh, I'm I'm doing fine, man. I'm I'm enjoying the sweet sunny South here. I've yes, yes. In Nashville, Tennessee, from California. And, and this is the uh, first time you lived in Nashville, you were saying. Um, yes, it is. It's uh, quite uh, quite amazing to be down here. I've I've had friends, of course, uh, who uh, you know I've, who've lived in. I've been to Nashville <laughs> more than a few times, and I've got plenty of friends who lived here. And they've actually I've had people bugging me, you know, they've been at me for years. Just, oh, you got to move here. You got to, you know, everybody you know is here, and that's kind of true. I probably know more people in Nashville than I do in all the rest of the country, you know, combined sure. and just it's, and, and more and more people are moving down here. And, um, you know, I did move to California recently from the Massachusetts, from Boston area, actually, uh, about three years ago. And, and California, because I grew up in California and I love the West coast and that, uh, you know, that it just didn't pan out very well. And now I'm, uh, I just thought, man, you know, it's, uh, it's cheaper still, you know, and even though Nashville's undergoing a huge boom, but um, now they have more than one of every kind of restaurant. Uh, and that for me was kind of a, <laughs> that really helped. <laughs> yeah, man. It's definitely a foodie town. It's, uh, I, yeah. I try to get there two or three times a year and, yeah. um, it's always it's it's tough to go back to your favorite spots because there's always something new somebody's telling me about to go oh, check yeah. out. And of course, you know, going along with the foodie thing, of course, it's the, the brewery thing. And, and oh, any yeah. town that's undergoing a boom is going to have breweries everywhere. You know, and that is that's coming along. That's coming on very strong. And uh, yeah, so that's another part of the equation. That's great. Yeah. Well, two of my favorites are Jackalope and Smith and Lentz. Are okay, fantastic. If you haven't had them yet, they're they're both worth a visit or two or three <laughs> well i gotta i gotta check that out yeah, yeah. i you know haven't been here long enough to really you know dive in but i found a couple of things in the in the old grocery store that uh, work just fine yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah so i'm you know i've got a little i've got a nice scene here um i'm just a few blocks away from some of some of my dearest uh, nearest and dearest really uh, not family but um certainly just as good as family um, you know, Brittany Haas is right down the street, um, John Mylander. Um, and of course, you know, I'm getting to know Tristan Scroggins, great man. Oh, there. Um, love Tristan. A little better. I know him, uh, known him, but you know, just really getting to know him now that we're neighbors. So that's really fun. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And of course, yeah, kind of cross right across the freeway from, <laughs> uh, Dominic Leslie. Um, you know, he's, uh, he and, uh, Phoebe Hunt are, you know, together, and that's nice. So uh, Dominic is incredible. And, of course, the, the you know, the fabulous Leslie's, you know, you can go on and on about the Leslie's. Uh, his, his brother Sam just moved here, too. So Sam's around, and Sam's a heck of a mandolin player, although he specializes in guitar, I think. So um, no shortage of, of, you know, those folks. And I actually regularly get a call from Mr. Mister Sam Bush. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it just always surprises me. Because, but Sam really cares about his older friends. And, um, he's an amazing guy. So, you know, there's plenty of mandolin presence in my life, including, you know, my personal mandolin, you know, Odyssey, which is quirky. But, yeah, me and mandolin players, I don't know, it's something about it. So I was happy <laughs> to get the call from you because I've got – you know, I've always got stuff to say. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, I would say the number one record in this is um, 
almost at the 100th episode that I've done of this. The number one album always that comes up is that is that first Grisman album. And, well, yeah. Um, and uh, just to have you on here because you have played with just some of my all-time faves. I mean, uh, Grisman, Mike Marshall, oh, yeah. your duo albums are yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> and then most recently, uh, Joe K. Walsh, who, again, just another one yeah. of my favorites, man. And, just amazing player, yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of that, Mr. Sun, um, both Grant and uh, Joe have been on in the past few weeks here. And, um, oh, that's great. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Mr. Sun, and I did get to hear mm-hmm. um, uh, one uh, version of your guys' take on Blackbird. Which is oh good phenomenal, very cool. Yeah, that's I'm very excited about that. You know, I mean, Blackbird, <laughs> it's kind of something that's been overdone, and we we overdid it again. And and but in a in a way that I think is you know uh, really worth doing it. You know, that's the thing. You know, stuff has to be feel like it had to happen, and that one definitely. You know, I mean, that's what I love about this band is that people are willing to think a little bit more about stuff, and and you know, kind of just kind of dive in with a you know wrench and a screwdriver and and you know maybe even a like a gear puller and, and <laughs> possibly you know po- yeah po- possibly a you know like uh you know something something you know specialized tools <laughs> <laughs> like a belt sander or something like that you know and, and really you know take the tune apart and see you know what what can we you know how can we make this about us you know or like what what is our you know personal you know, view of what this tune is about and how can we do something about it that uh, makes it, uh, you know, still the t- is a tune, but um, the song, but, but uh, you know, what, what can we bring to it, you know? Absolutely. And you guys bring a lot to it, you know, it's, it's a great version of it. So I can't wait for people to hear it. And I know the yeah. album's finished, but it's, um, you were, you guys are still kind of working on a release date yet for, for that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We're trying to figure out when, when that's going to come out. Um, yeah, we were hoping to get it out before Christmas, but, uh, uh, because it's coming out on compass records, uh, you know, we have, uh, we got two geniuses running compasses and I, I always follow their advice and, and Gary West, of course, you know, he says, well, you know, if you just, if you put it out now, then like, it's just, it's just going to drop because, you know, the, everybody goes away for the holidays and blah 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 and all this stuff and he's, he starts reeling off numbers my mind kind of like goes blank and I would say whatever you say man let's put it out in the spring you know? <laughs> guys a, you know, he's a just a he's a com- human computer you know he's just amazing you know guy just brilliant so um, that's one of the reasons why we're, I'm happy to put it out with Compass because he knows what he's talking about yeah well, you guys also put out a live album that's on Bandcamp. Um, yeah. Song that's really, really good. Well, thanks. So people can check that out in the meantime. There's real tall girls who are smart as hell. There's ones who ring out like a bell. And they know they do. But there ain't no one like you. Yeah, that was kind of fun. That was an amazing thing, just the way that happened. And, and of course, one of my favorite venues of all time in California, the Freight and Salvage. Uh, is it the Freight or is it the Salvage? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that was definitely a, a, like a Freight, you know, that was a Freight gig. I mean, nothing salvaged about that gig. That was, you know, really cool. And the funny thing about that, 
uh, that that show was that it was a afternoon, early afternoon show. It was kind of a tribute to Django Reinhardt. And they had like three other bands on the thing. And, and it's kind of like so crazy because we had a gig in Los Angeles the night before. And if, if you know about California, you know, it's one state, but it's more like four states. And, and to get from Los Angeles to San Francisco or Berkeley, California, really, um, is, uh, it's, a, it's a project. Uh, it's, you know, it's three or four hundred miles. And so we... Uh, <laughs> we drove, you know, we drove from LA to, to San Francisco and had to get there, you know, at basically noon. Wow. And our eyeballs were just like, you know, rolling around in our heads. And like, <laughs> just like going, blah, blah, blah. we were playing a game, I guess we're playing, right? <laughs> and so there was this sort of very, you know, like, sort of like goofy, you know, like, you know, you know, balls to the wall kind of quality to the gig. Like, we just don't care. <laughs> Sometimes that's and the key. It was the key in this case. Absolutely. That you're absolutely right. You know, it just uh, completely, um, you know, we just played whatever came into our heads and it really came out great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. I treasure that. You know, there's, there's certain live gigs where everything just kind of comes out and it's, you know, it's just like a, you know, the whole, you know, um, yeah, the, and it's just drive the backhoe straight, you know, sideways over the, you know, like what the set list was. And it's just like comes out in a lump, you know, it's like, blah, here you go, <laughs> folks. Oh, and, man, uh, I love that. Yeah. And it's the same thing with that, that other release. We just, you know, it just was, you know, when you move, stuff tends to float to the surface. And, and <laughs> um, I found that that old um recording of of um psychographs which was kind of the same same thing you know we had an after it was an afternoon gig in vermont and we'd driven from somewhere and um we just you know it was just an amazing moment where everything kind of came together and uh you know again you know just like the big you know it's like <laughs> barphological you know <laughs> extravaganza you know uh, it was really fun Uh, it's got a lot of fire too. That's a. It's man. What a. If you got to yeah. get somewhere in a in in a hurry, that's a good album to throw on. I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I can't believe I ever was able to play that fast. You know, so <laughs> funny, you know. But you know, when you get you get Greer and and, and Mike Marshall uh, in this, you know, together, and the same, you know, things are going to get intense you know yeah because those guys i mean they're both a little bit competitive and, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> man oh okay. my gosh so That's did you good. start out on fiddle or mandolin what was 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 fiddling well i started out on i, I you know I, I i hate to say this but uh, I, I started out on guitar sorry oh, no kidding. You know, I, that was the beatles you know for me uh that i'm, I'm of that demographic and um you know it was funny because my folks bought me a guitar they didn't think and i didn't know if i was going to be serious about it or anything they got you know what was good back then this was 1964 um it was hard to get a good cheap guitar you get a cheap guitar you get a bad cheap guitar 
so that that was you know um, <laughs> that was it was really difficult to press the strings down, and I just had a lot of trouble just physically dealing with the thing. But um, uh, you know, so I, I put that away and, and kind of got into the fiddle. You know, a violin really is what it was because I didn't even know fiddling existed until I was. 13 or 14 and went to a, a rock concert with a, with a band called the young bloods. And, um, cause I heard they had a violin player and they didn't, <laughs> but <laughs> what they did have was an opening act, which was C train with with Richard green, Richard F green, who, uh, completely, you know, destroyed my whole, you know, idea of what, you know, re and rebuilt my whole idea of, of what music could be. And, uh, how you could do things, and and because um, I didn't know fiddling existed really, and then Richard came along and was playing Orange Blossom Special with a rock band, you know, just oh, playing wow. really fast, and all those licks. Richard was so incredible, you know. He play all the bluesy stuff, the electric guitar stuff. I was trying to do. He played on fiddle. I'm going like, what? You know, I already, you know, there's 200 guys ahead of me already <laughs> on, on on guitar in my high school alone. And, you know, nobody is doing this on, on violin except Richard, as far as I know. And so if I do it in my high school, you know, I just switch all these, take all these electric guitar licks and put them on violin, which I already kind of have a little bit together. And right around that time, I also, um, somebody, gave, you know, showed up with one of those mandolins, you know, one of those, you know, like the first mandolin you ever touch which is usually those kind of ones that are like about six inches deep and they're like made out of plywood and you know they have strings and 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 they i don't even know what they said they sound like a tub but um (laughs) but it had eight strings and it it was like oh man this is just like a it's like the best qualities of guitar and fiddle you know it's got frets you know if i can just get it in tune you know that's my kind of thing you know with you know like mandolin you know fiddle i mean both strings are sort of like well like man like anything with frets is like sort of like civilization you know because it's like signing a contract you know it's like you make a deal with you know with the peg head right you know you it's like signing you know you get the if you can get the the pegs to work and get the things to stay in tune then the contract says that you're going to be in tune all the way up and down the fingerboard. Right. You know, so that's kind of the deal, you know, that's civilized, that's civilized to me. Right. right. Whereas if, you know, with the bow strings, you know, it's just like you're, you're, you know, you're shooting your own food and building a fire. Like every, every note is like, so I was really appreciating having the mandolin as sort of a reference, you know, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is <laughs> shooting your own food. Cooking yourself. Well, that's yes. So it was it was great. You know, I, once I discovered that mandolins existed, you know, even though it's like that silly thing, you know, and we've all I think we've all been there, right? You know, you, Daniel, what was your first mandolin? You had something like that, probably. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I um. I just bought like a Johnson mandolin from musician's friend online to see if uh-huh, I could even uh-huh. figure it out. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I drove, I got it cause I was going on a road trip to Florida and I'm like, well, you know what? I'll drive the people in the car crazy, but I'll at least determine if I like mandolin enough to invest in a better one. And I yeah. did, it's, you know, it took me a while to uh, then scrape up the money to buy a nicer cool. one, but I knew I was going to buy a nicer one. That's great. That's really cool. So, yeah. So I didn't even know. I mean, 
I was sort of slowly discovering bluegrass after that. You know, I came from such a weird place, you know, like kind of a rock place with all this stuff. And, um, you know, just mainly it seemed like, oh, well, it's like, you know, it's like a reference fiddle, you know, or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then, I, you know, as I, you know, got into bluegrass, I started realizing, oh, my God, you know, this is an amazing, you know, this is its whole world in itself. And then, um, you know, just really... The first mainland player who really made an impression on me in his recordings was David Grisman. And, you know, through, uh, so I, you know, I bought everything that had Richard on it. So I, I got a copy of Mulescape. Which had, you know, with Clarence and Richard and uh, Peter Rowan. And I'm going like, oh, okay, mandolin, wow. So this is, <laughs> like, same thing with Richard Ritz. So this is fiddling. You know, Richard is fiddling, right? And then the next record I got was a Scott Stoneman record. <laughs> so I was really ruined, you know, from day one. <laughs> You know, what's cool is that, you know, really kind of being aware of David from really, you know, pretty early on and, you know, his whole thing, his whole approach to mandolin playing is, you know, it's deeply rooted in bluegrass, but and in and in an interesting way, you know, it's parallel with Monroe because Monroe would like completely define uh, you know, the rhythm, the groove, everything about the band, you know, through his mandolin playing. He completely ruled, you know, everything orbited around the mandolin. Uh, even even with Earl, you know, even with the banjo, uh, you know, kind of radically changing the sound of the, the group. It's, you know, he would, uh, you know, kind of arrange the, uh, the the flow of the tune through, you know, what he was doing on, on rhythm mandolin, you know, regardless of his, you know, the solos, brilliant solos. You know, this mandolin as a drum kit, you know, always appealed to me. And David just took that even farther, you know, because of his knowledge of, you know, like pop music and you know, wide knowledge of the world and pop music, just huge awareness of that, you know, which he got through, you know, his association with, with uh, Ralph Rensler and Ralph would send him out. You know, you, everybody knows the story. You know, he, he was sent out with a tape machine to record Bill Monroe shows and stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, so David really absorbed that stuff deeply. And, and you know, you hear, um, and especially on Old in the Way, which is the next record I got with David on it, with Vassar. And
that changed my life too. But, you know, David's absolute control of the flow of the, of the song, you know, his, his, you know, shaping of the story of the song through his rhythm playing, you know, I mean, just that like the boogaloo thing where he'd like kind of churn things up and then like all of a sudden you'd go into the chopping and, um, you know, over the course, you'd see, you know, over the course of a 32-bar song form, there would be a story. And then over the course of the larger t- song, you know, the entire song, there was also a story that, that David was really, you know, he was telling. He was aware of the beginning, ending, middle of not only sections, but the entire song. And, and then how he, he, you know, organized his playing. Um was was brilliant you know it's brilliant like any great drummer you know really you know telling the story of the song uh through the rhythm you know and of course i mean you know his 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 soloing was amazing because it, you know he really i i heard banjo you know I, all you know he just took banjo licks and turned them into mandolin licks it was just amazing you know so deep deep stuff going on there and i really loved that and, and got me farther into mainland at that time i had dropped out of college because you know because uh, <laughs> everybody that didn't go to college had all the gigs <laughs> anyway so and i was building instruments and living in a in a resort town in california i was living in santa cruz which was a university town i was going to college there big university and and uh, a smaller community college and so it was a big college town but also a big retirement town and a surfer town so we had all that stuff going, and it was great. Lots of musicians, lots of music all the time. Um, I was playing everywhere, doing everything, and uh, building. You know, I've gotten into building and built a few mandolins, and that's kind of my entree into meeting David. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah. So <laughs> Do you still have any of the mandolins you built? I do not. I've seen them. I, they, they they show up occasionally. Many of them have survived. Uh, you know, they haven't imploded. Some of them imploded. Actually, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still a few out there. Um, I was playing in a, in a bluegrass band um, that I, and my first mainland I sold to uh, the mainland player in the bluegrass band. He still plays it and he likes it. He thinks it's pretty good. So I am impressed. I'm, that's, that's a good, that's good. You know, that makes me feel good. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, um, <laughs> I remember meeting, meeting David and, and, and uh, Vassar, they all in the way came to Santa Cruz and played the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium, which I had just played about a month ago, opening for Doc Watson with my little band. Oh, cool. Yeah. That was amazing. Cause I was able to, you know, I knew how to get in <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and it was it was cool because uh, I did meet, get to meet David, you know, for you know, and showed him a mainline I was working on and stuff. And uh, I think he and Vassar were both so charmed, you know, that that actually somebody would want to get in and meet them instead of Jerry. I didn't, you know, I didn't care about Jerry Garcia, you know, like oh Jerry Garcia, yeah, I'm a pretty good banjo player, yeah, but <laughs> I want to meet you guys. <laughs> and they're like they're standing over in the corner and there's this crowd around Jerry. It's just like oh man, wow, there's the guy that likes to watch me us. <laughs> it was kind of funny. So David remembered me anyway when uh, Todd Phillips, who was also building mandolin and mandolins and and was playing with David, and we actually took started taking lessons from David because David's Great American Music Band kind of disintegrated, um, 
and uh, and they, which was playing some of the same material. That that band was David and Richard, which was sort of the bifecta for me. You know, I was really a fan of that band, but they were only around for a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I learned all of David's material from a from a recording I made of of that band. How cool! And uh, so when I went up with Todd Phillips to meet Dave, you know, re meet David and 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 jam with him, I knew all of David's material and all the parts and all the melodies that Richard played and all the solos that Richard had played on that particular night that I I recorded the thing. So that, you know, that's my recommendation. Any people that want to join somebody's band, you know, somebody's band is like learn all their material and all the solos and everything. You know, it's a lot easier now than it is then though. I mean, now you, all the shows. Oh yeah. You just get on YouTube. You don't even have to leave your house. You you had to go and tape it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. (laughs) It's really funny. And you use your amazing slowdowner. That's right. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and and so I was playing mandolin a little bit, and 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 you know because I had to, and it was just fun and and uh, just doing it, and so you know, man, I mean, David was like the guy. The way the guy gets a tone, it's so interesting watching his hands. You know, his hands are not big, you know, compared to other people's hands. Like compared to, say, Mike Marshall's hands, for instance. He's got hands the size of a dinner plate, you know. <laughs> um, and that helps, you know, the weight. Uh, I think, you know, if you got big, heavy hands, it really helps, you know, to get get the sound out of the instrument. David's hands are not like that. Um, they're, you know, just kind of graceful hands that just kind of, he just, has that he said it was never that hard for him to you know he just naturally fell into it you know just to get the tone and uh you know there's just nobody that gets a tone like david yeah you can pick that guy's tone out of you know any anywhere you could hear yeah yeah it was was like sam you know same Mm -hmm. thing you know those guys you know you just hear you know you know what it's it just and a mandolin. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of it's like piano a little bit. You know, there's a lot of mechanical stuff that's kind of in the way. Um, you know, there's just the the mechanical problem of getting the strings to press down, getting the you know the strings to react. Uh, they're tight. They're you know there's a lot of things that um, make it uh, you know challenging to you know sound like yourself and. Uh, so uh, yeah, definitely. The, the, you know, just being around guys like that really made me conscious of tone, and uh, made me realize I'll never really be a, you know, a real mandolin player. You know, but I I can do certain things. You know, I know what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, that's amazing. What what was it like? I um, they just uh, released like the rehearsals. Oh yeah, of the recording. That's cool. I gotta listen to that. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little scared. Oh <laughs> like, man! But, <laughs> but but was like when you when you guys were sitting down and working on this stuff. I mean, you're you are one of the people who helped founded or found all my favorite music that I listen to today has really uh, like without that recording in that group. I I don't know if it would be the same stuff I'm listening to now. That was like just opened a lot of doors for so many people. Was it, was that the intention when you guys were sitting down and rehearsing? Well, you know, that's really interesting because, um, 
yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, you know, David, you know, one of David's real talents, uh, you know, as a, a band leader is to get, get people excited about what they're doing and to get everybody kind of pointed in the same direction. And certainly with a very disparate group of people, you know, uh, like that, you know, uh, people from, you know, Tony coming from a very different, you know, kind of milieu, you know, uh, and to get, you know, to get Tony to, to sit still for, you know, like rehearsing for a year, you know, after he'd been doing that six night a week gig at the Holiday Inn in Lexington with, with the New Sounds, which is the best bluegrass band on the planet. Yet at that time, everybody, every bluegrass band in the world tries to sound exactly like J.D. Crow in the New South now. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, he was, David was very, aware that you know it was original material and we were trying to make something new and have it be digested because there was plenty of stuff going on i mean there's the whole east coast scene was like the new york all-stars you know mm -hmm. andy statman and and uh, tony trishka and, and that whole crowd out there were, were doing really radical beautiful you know recreating you know like just in, inventing stuff but you know what they were doing sort of like it was like a crazy quilt, you know, it's just like New York city, right? right. Cause you get all the different neighborhoods and they're all clashing together. And it's, it's really fun. Cause it's just this big carnival of, of, you know, stuff that's colliding all the time. And that's what that stuff sounded like. And, uh, we were trying to go for something that was digested, you know, we're trying to get all this stuff and just like, you know, run it through, uh, a, you know, a thought machine and, you know, uh, and, and just really, you know, put it in, in some kind of place. I don't know. You know, there's a little bit of West coast cool about it, but you definitely know, we were playing fast and, you know, the ferocity, you know, to hear how David and Tony played together was, it was just so bracing, mind blowing. Really. I'd never heard, you know, yeah, nobody had ever heard anything like that because nobody had ever heard what Tony could do you know those guys together was its own sound it was like having you know two great jazz drummers just like bashing away at each other you know? <laughs> yeah it's incredible yeah <laughs> oh wow now was there did you run into any sort of like with starting anything new with instruments that are related sort of you know to a specific genre did you guys run into any like just gruffness or weirdness when you were out there first doing it well, you know, I mean, the West Coast is just a, you know, not on the West Coast for sure. It's, it's just like people in, you know, and and one of the things that I think that kind of made the difference was that David, you know, I mean, always said, you know, like, well, you know, I invented dog music, you know, <laughs> which is an anti-label anyway, you know, it doesn't say anything about the music. It's not like jam grass or jazz grass or grass this or any kind of grass. Um, you know, uh, I just reinvented dog music because I didn't want to screw up bluegrass. Because, you, know? <laughs> um, blue, you know, I mean, we all, you know, everybody had total respect for bluegrass. And David could play bluegrass as well as anybody. Sure. And, and so could Tony. And, and, and I was, you know, I had really spent a lot of time studying it. And, and um, you know, so like there was that, you know, that thing. I mean, we do this, but we do this. You know, we're doing this right now. Um, and, uh, there was a, a kind of a, you know, a pretty strong separation because Tony was also doing kind of a parallel bluegrass thing. You know, he'd bring out JD and, and those guys and he'd do a bluegrass 
show, you know, a couple of, you know, on the West Coast and, and then go back East a little bit. But, you know, this is what we're doing. So I think we got a pass, you know, from most of the bluegrass people because, um, you know, we weren't trying to combine it or call it any kind of grass. You know, it's just, you know, this is just this other thing that we're doing. And, and uh, you know, it's its own thing. So, uh, you know, <laughs> just, and we're just going to do it. And and that, I, I believe, you know, that really, you know, and then like there, you know, people that kind of just didn't even pay attention, people that weren't paying attention anywhere were like, it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but we, you know, as as things progress, you know, um, I don't know. There was that whole era with um, a short but a good era with with Mark O'Connor joining the group and everything like that. And we were kind of branching out into other instruments. I was playing a lot of cello, and we were all playing mandolin. You know, there was a lot of everybody playing mandolin stuff. And, and of course, we started the Mandolin World News, which was David's <laughs> idea. You know, like let's start a quarterly magazine about mandolin. Nobody's doing this, and we'll just do everything about the mandolin and. And it'll support the band, you know. Well, the band ended up supporting the Mainland World News <laughs> big time. I mean, yeah. But um, <laughs> it was fun, you know, just this crazy little. And that was an amazing thing because we did we connected with Mainland players all over the world through that crazy magazine, and that was really fun. And I did a lot of transcriptions, and it actually did a lot of layout for that that um, that uh, that magazine for for years. And it was really fun, and um, you know, just met a lot of you know, just connected with people all over the all over the place. Tony Williamson, and uh, just was one of the first, maybe the first person to write to us, you know, about the magazine. Tony Williamson, and then a couple other folks, um, you know, just connecting immediately, and uh, that was that was really cool. Oh man, yeah, that's amazing. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> so was the was the uh, the initial success like someone being in that first album? Like was the initial success because you know now it's like a legendary album. I mean all those recordings. Oh, yeah. are, but that album right there is like just the one that set so many people into motion. Was it was it pretty instantaneous? Was it a you know a slow thing? More importantly, was there a lot of pressure to recreate? Uh, you know, I, 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 that was not a big pressure record in in, in a sense. I mean. We did record, re-record all the tunes about four or five times, uh, just you know, piecemeal, just going over and over. In fact, <laughs> uh, we were really, you know, the budget was tiny. Um, David tried to get it with Arista and some of those those labels. I mean, he he actually had had phone conversations with Clive Davis, um, and nobody nobody was interested in that. You know, like what? Come on, you know, it's just a bunch of you know, hairy guys in, in Marin <laughs> County you know, on the deck, you know, playing <laughs> instrumental, you know, like who cares, you know? Um, but so uh, it just finally, you know, a couple of guys that worked for Chris Strockwitz's com uh, company, um, uh, Down Home Music, our Hooli Records, uh, that was in Berkeley. And, and, you know, that had been an institution in Berkeley, California for many years, the whole uh, our Hooli and, and Down Home Music. Uh, clearinghouse for and a couple of guys that worked at that record company just got so excited about the band that they said, "Well, let's we'll start a record company. We'll just <laughs> make a record. You know, we'll just make your record." And that was Tom Diamond and Jeff Alexson, and uh, they found some money, you know, to go in and do it right. You know, at a really real recording studio. Um, it was a studio that did a lot of classical music, and that was really 
interesting because you know very you know just super high quality stuff for that time period um and david had you know had had a you know friend who was an incredible um you know engineer recorder guy who's obsessive insanely obsessive engineer who would adjust the machines you know between every take you know he'd like get a screwdriver out like adjust the azimuth um <laughs> incredible you know and it was so funny because we only had like like we only had like four reels of tape you know we could only afford you know in the budget no one but budget only had room for four reels of like eight track tape wow and, so like, you know, we'd record the, you know, get the whole record recorded, and then like, okay, edit some stuff together. And I'm like, oh, this is, I just, I can't do it. You know, it's not good enough. It's not the thing. You know, and then we'd go back, and we'd start recording. We were recording over spliced tape. Wow. You know, and just, we, it was amazing, and um, and and we did it. You know, and and finally it 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 worked. You know, it got it to the standard that we wanted, uh, and. Uh, you know, and, and so it was like this tiny budget, but you know, David had connections within the industry. He had a connection to his fellow uh, Artie Rose, who was an A and R, one of those original A and R guys who worked for you know, they worked for a big record company for a long time, and he'd retired. But you know, the kind of guy who you know have the records in his trunk, and he'd drive around all over the country to the radio station, and he'd like smoke a joint with the DJ, <laughs> music director, and say, "You gotta listen to this, man! Like here it is, you know, this is the most amazing stuff." And they'd get excited about it, and they'd play it on the, you know, that kind of stuff. That old school shit is so beautiful. And uh, we, we, you know, learned about that and uh, what that was about as it, as it was disappearing. But this, uh, the guy that um, broke the record for us was this guy, Artie Rose, who knew everybody, you know, and knew everybody in radio and he made it happen. You know, he just called up his all, all his old contacts. And so it was really, you know, it's like a total hail Mary from left field. But, um, you know, that there was room for that kind of thing at that, at that time. And, uh, and, and, and it worked, you know, uh, and, you know, David had the smarts to, uh, to, uh, play it. Right. And then the next record was, uh, with, um, a and M Horizon. Tommy LaPuma was the our, our connection on that. Wow, that was incredible. And that that was that that record, do, uh, Hot Dog, was the difficult record. Was the, the thing when it just about broke everybody? Really? Well, how 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 so? Oh, it had to be incredible, right? It was like major stuff. They were putting money in, you know. There was like we were doing a bigger studio, you know. There's more at stake, you know. And um, there's a lot of other things going on at the time too. David was making that movie soundtrack, King uh, of the Gypsies, and. Um, you know, we were having bass player problems, you know, people were quitting and, and uh, you know, other bass players that David wanted would, you know, didn't want to really do it. And, and, and there, yeah, just all kinds of crazies, you know, just any, every possible stress, you know, that could happen. 
was happening, and you know, that's when David got tendonitis. It's just all this crazy stuff happened, and uh, and that's when Mike Marshall showed up, <laughs> the goofy <laughs> kid from Florida. Yeah, you know, like hey guys, Mike had sent us a tape of <laughs> you know him playing a bunch of the dog music himself on every instrument, and it sounded really cool cassette, you know, and. Uh, we, you know, we all just said, that's really great. You know, and David, I think David sent him a letter or something saying, yeah, it's very good. Young fella, you're really doing something great and it's really cool. And uh, I hope, you know, you should come out and visit sometime. And then like two weeks later, you know, Mike was there with us. Like, <laughs> Fort Fairlane, you know, from Florida. <laughs> like, hey guys, I, what's going on? Can I pick? Oh and my gosh, of course so he cool. was unbelievable you know he learned all the material just you know, kind of like i did you know he learned all the material he's playing great you know mike was sort of a sam bush acolyte you know he really could he could sound like sam he, he like the way those notes kind of come they go into each other like that stuff where it just sounds like notes are overlapping you know that's amazing uh, you know this very hard to do on mainland who does that uh sam yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and mike marshall yeah <laughs> So kind of it, you know, and uh, so uh, that was, you know, he might kind of save the band in a way, you know, save the record, everything else. And, and uh, David was able to pull off getting Stephen Rapelli on a couple of cuts as well. And that made a huge difference. But it was, yeah, yeah that was that was the, the record that really just about killed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But another amazing record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, things, I mean, things got easier, things got harder, you know, some things got easier. But, um, you know, having Mark O'Connor show up was really amazing. That was a trip. Uh, and, you know, Mark could play everything, you know, technically, you know, better, you know, kind of better than everybody. But, um, you know, there was other issues, you know, going on. <laughs> and, uh, yes, but, yeah, just the, the whole, man, it, we, I remember we played that band, uh, in 1980, played the, uh, the American Luthiers Convention, which happened to be a big deal. They they kind of went for it and booked uh, the uh, site of the Old World's Fair in San Francisco. Um, it was a beautiful pavilion with like you know a giant uh, you know a hall full of luthiers, all these people. That's where we met John Monteleone, and we met Stephen Gilchrist, and George Caroon came out. Gilchrist wow. uh, had just was just quitting working for George Groon and, and had, uh, was getting ready to kind of move back to Australia. And uh, Gilchrist showed up with a couple of uh, experimental, like a giant mandola and an octave mandolin uh, that they weren't even finished. They were in the white, but they were strung up. And, uh, oh, man, you know, John Monteleone had his unbelievably perfect instruments there. And it was like we were kids in a candy store because we were we were the, the featured band, featured artists for that. Wow. And, and we just we did a sweep of the floor, the convention floor, and just you know went and said, "Well, can we borrow that and that and that and that and that and that? Oh, the one over there. And then, how about that? Yeah, can we do that too? And like we'll take <laughs> we'll take one of those, one of those. And we had you know we must have thirty five or forty instruments up on stage on stands you know for our concert and we just went through every one of them and played something on them oh, um, cool. you know just worked them into the act <laughs> so to speak 
And that was a fun ride because, you know, th- you know, that started, you know, a whole relationship with, with, with Stephen and John you know, and, and uh, others, too. I mean, many others. But that was, you know, that was very beautiful, powerful moment for, for everybody, you know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and it began a long uh, relationship with, with, with Gil Christian and Molly Owen for sure. Yeah, both beautiful instrument makers man holy cow these guys yeah they're just yeah and just watching these guys just you know grow and 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 do more and more and uh of course you get the you know both of those guys wound up doing uh quartet uh instruments that's a whole world in itself it's so funny you know mike marshall you know talking about mike and i just have had such parallel careers even when we're not playing together we're doing almost the same thing that's (laughs) right i started Turtle Island's string quartet, you know, Mike said he was going to start the modern mandolin quartet. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it was not premeditated, but it definitely uh, it, it worked out really well. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Part two next week is filled with a bunch of more incredible stories. Man, Daryl, what a heck of a nice guy and so many fun laughs just listening back to this while editing it is putting a smile on my face. Uh, so cheers everybody hope you guys have a fantastic week and uh keep an eye out for a little bonus episode on friday cheers everyone